Your private information should be just that, private, so protect it at expressvpn.com slash inside. Hello and welcome to Inside Gaming. Yes, of course, usually we would have an Inside Gaming daily episode right now, but we are on break. Don't worry, we got something really, really cool. Joining me today, special guests from Supergiant Games, creative director, Greg Kasavin. How are you, Greg? What's going on? Hey, I'm doing well. Thanks a lot for having me. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'm super excited to talk to you. Uh, we're, we're recording this at an interesting time. Uh, Hades is out right now. We just got Game Award nominees. We don't know what's about to happen, but, but when you're watching this, and I think December 28th, you're already gonna know everything. <laughs> um, so I guess I just kind of want to catch up with you a little bit. I think, you know, people probably have obviously been watching the the No Clip documentary, but how have things kind of been in getting up to launch and kind of now having the kind of come down from it? Yeah, it's uh, it's weird, I think, in a word. Um, it's amazing and also a lot of cognitive dissonance uh, some of the time as well. Um, obviously, it's been a tough year. People can probably relate to it on some... Sometimes you catch yourself like, I shouldn't be feeling happy. It's a terrible time. <laughs> Uh, but but like, you know, we're, we're amazed at the response that our game has been getting. I think we knew what we had, but you just never know. <laughs> like the game has been in early access for a while, right? Like people have known, but the, the response has been like pretty explosive. So we've been supporting the launch. We've been just kind of like rolling with it as, as much as possible um, and still still working on some aspects of it. We have our big like uh, cross saves update. That's a, a pretty big uh, technical challenge. So we're still working on Hades, even though it's been out. Uh, for a little while, but um, we were we couldn't be happier with how the launch has gone. Uh, that's awesome for me to hear as a big fan that, that you all are still working on it. But I hope that also you get to take a break and kind of calm down <laughs> a little bit. And obviously, it, you know, got thrown a total curveball in the last few months of development there with with COVID and everything. Yeah. Has that been wearing on you all at all? Or are you kind of just good to go? Or what's morale like? Yeah, it's, you know, I'm I'm sure it's going to vary from person to person. I try to find the silver lining, I guess. That's the best that maybe any of us could do right now. But I'm I'm, I'm grateful to be able to spend more time with my family. I, I don't have much of a social life anyway. <laughs> so, you know, that wasn't significantly affected by all this. Uh, but that's just me. Despite the hardships of that transition at Supergiant, you all were able to kind of still deliver on release date and kind of hit your milestones and stuff. Do you attribute that to, to just kind of being a smaller studio or what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I, I, I do think um, our our relatively small size, we're just under 20 people, um, did help. Absolutely. Like I think very big studios, it's a much bigger challenge. Like for us, remote work has been part of how we've done things uh, all along. It wasn't that big of a deal apart from the actual circumstances of it being so wild and hard to deal with. So we had this shot. We were already pretty far along in development. We knew what we wanted to do with the rest of the game. So we just kind of gave it everything we've got. Um, but still that, you know, that doesn't guarantee the outcome by any means. I think what's really interesting is the response to Hades. I think the art and the world, the characters of Hades, are something that comes up a lot on games Twitter. Do you, and I know you said you can never really tell what the response to, to a game that you're making is going to be, but did you expect this kind of response? You know, I, I'd say like maybe in a word, describe some of them as thirsty, maybe <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> no, I mean, the yeah, the you know, people talk about the characters like being sexy or whatever. Um, Gen Z, our art director, she's an incredible artist. And I, I think she has a specialization in, in beautiful characters. <laughs> um, all of our game, like, 
So we're a little surprised in that, like, our games, I think, have always had beautiful characters in them in a way, but we've never made a game about Greek gods before. And, like, part of the appeal of the theme for someone like Jen is, like, she she gets to make Greek gods. They have a certain reputation to uphold. Uh, they're not just regular people. Um, so that was kind of, like, our, in a nutshell, the reason everybody's pretty looking in Hades is <laughs> is because of that. They're, they're, like, you know, a character like Achilles, he's, like, the greatest warrior of all time, like, this is going to be a good-looking guy. Uh, he kind of he kind of has to be. Uh, he's he's like the ulti, you know the ultimate warrior type of guy, and and you have these gods like you know Aphrodite, and there are different portrayals of all of them. But yeah, the, it's definitely uh, from the mind of Gen Z, and we've been thrilled at how much the characters have have taken off. I mean, they they got a good response uh, during our early access, but yeah, it, it just kind of went to the next level once we launched and we started seeing just all this amazing fan art and just a lot of support for all the different characters. We've never had a game with a fully voiced cast of characters like this, so even just the positive response to the voice acting really means a lot to us because that was like a big kind of scary leap for us to take on this game. Speaking to kind of like the characters in the world of Hades, I mean, there's plenty of interpretations of Greek gods, you know, throughout history, obviously. Uh, so I'm curious like what what y'all set out to kind of achieve with your interpretation. Like what makes these Greek yeah. gods like specifically super giant themed or styled, you know, what, what goes into making a character for Hades? Yeah, it's a great question. It's a question we asked ourselves like almost word for word when we set out to make this game because yeah, there's so many adaptations of Greek myth like, what's our business even making something like this? Like, why does it even, why should it exist, right? Like, what, what's the point of adding to Greek myth, like, if you don't have some point of view on it? And our starting point was this idea that the Greek gods are the ultimate dysfunctional family. And it's not necessarily, like, their supernatural uh, godlike abilities that make them compelling. Like, it's not that Zeus can throw lightning bolts. It's that they have these, like, really human flaws. Um, and in some cases, like, really kind of outrageous personality traits. Like when you go back to the source material, the versions of these characters that have not been sort of filtered through media over the ages, they are wild. <laughs> um, so we wanted to start from that as a source and, and looking at them through the lens of a big dysfunctional family and how would they interact. But also like, you know, the game has a lighthearted quality, right? It's not nearly as dark as a lot of Greek myth is, or it doesn't turn out to be. It may look that way at first. And I think it was the image of Cerberus you know, the notorious hound of hell as the family dog that like crystallized it for us. The it, Like yeah. Cerberus is just Hades' pet. Yeah. So thinking about it that way, it, suddenly we, we imagine this like kind of more domestic drama and bringing these characters down to earth. So that's, that's kind of where our point of view came from. That source material where you're pulling from, for you as somebody who's now developing these characters off of a set world, instead of like Pyre where you kind of just built everything, right? What's that like? Yeah, the, you know, uh, part of the appeal of, of uh, basing this game off of Greek myth is that we, we've never done an adaptation before. Each of our previous games, they've just, we just made stuff up, right? They're our own like original settings where we got to kind of control every aspect of what went into them. So paradoxically, it was like a scarier creative challenge to like base our game off of something that existed than to make everything up. I think I think for a lot of developers, the idea of making something up from scratch would be more intimidating. And for me, you know, um, I drew upon a lot of different reference material. As a matter of fact, this camera is resting upon some of that reference material right this very second. As it should be. Such as yes. such as uh, Crowell's Handbook of Classical Mythology. But I went back and reread, you know, the Iliad and the Odyssey and uh, 
there's an author called uh, Hesiod who wrote something called Theogony. It's actually quite short, but it's basically like the Greek myth, uh, kind of de facto creation myth. Mm. Uh, so, you know, in the beginning there was chaos right. and from chaos, you know, sprang this, that, and the other. And drawing from those original sources was mainly where I got my reference material from. And uh, in fact, the entire concept of the game, having the protagonist Zagreus, who is a character I was not familiar with prior to this game, despite studying Greek myth um, since I was a little kid. It's from like a tiny scrap of a play from a writer called Aeschylus, who suggested that Hades had a son. We're like, what? Hades had a son? Like, I've never heard of that. Who is this guy? And then there's all this weird information about this guy, Zagreus, and it's pretty inconclusive. And it's like, wait a minute, this is perfect. Like, no one knows this guy's story. We benefit from that because we can kind of fill in the blanks in the mythology, as it were. We also found that Hades himself, despite being one of those household name gods, there are very few stories about him specifically. So it, it again, it kind of gave us license to expand upon what was known about this guy. And that, that was exciting to us. Yeah, that's really cool. I feel super outclassed and, and kind of dumb because I feel the same way about like X-Men characters. I'm like, what? Yeah. Magneto had kids, yeah. but it's similar yeah. in that way, I guess. Yeah. I half jokingly say like a Homer with, with the Iliad and the Odyssey, he basically created the equivalent of the Marvel cin cinematic yes. universe of his time. Absolutely. Because the Odyssey, the Odyssey is like a spin-off sequel. It's like making a Doctor Strange movie after the Avengers or whatever. He's like, oh, there's this guy, Odysseus. He was, yeah. he was kind of this compelling character in the Iliad. What if there was this whole, you know, awesome side story about him? So I love those connections. I actually see a lot of those same connections yeah and comics are modern mythology as far as i'm concerned absolutely yeah absolutely i, I love to hear it so odysseus coming to hades in 2021 <laughs> is that what we're saying here I'm just no playing. yeah we don't we don't know what's next yeah we 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 honest to goodness have no idea what's next for us we never plan uh, more than we never plan the next game while we're still working on the game we're working on. Like Hades, we started planning as soon as we were done with Pyre, for example. We could do that because we're small. And a big part of the reason we do that is because we don't know how we're going to feel at the end of a project. So we don't want to kind of commit to something that then at the end of a project, we're like, ah, like, why are we doing this? Uh, and we may, we may have new ideas, get inspired by new things. So we just kind of defer on that for as long as we can. But it does mean that we don't know what our immediate uh, plans are. Like I said, we gave uh, the 1.0 version of Hades uh, everything we've got, and that means anything left on the cutting room floor basically is stuff that should stay there. <laughs> yeah. Um, we're, we're not sitting on a bunch of stuff that we're, you know, waiting to release DLC every 30 days or something like that. We, we got to figure all that stuff out. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this interview. There's a lot more fun questions to come, including a bold prediction by yours truly that probably not going to go my way. Uh, and we're going to get to all that in a second. But first, let's take a moment to say thank you to our sponsor, Full Sail University. You know, we all love video games, but have you ever considered making them? If so, then I want to tell you about Full Sail University, which offers a variety of gaming degree programs on campus and online that can teach you the tools, technology, and workflow used by today's gaming studios. You can learn level design, programming, character modeling, production, and more. Graduates from Full Sail have worked on awesome games like Grand Theft Auto V, the Call of Duty series, Assassin's Creed 4, Black Flag, and many more. Full Sail has degrees available in game development design and art, as well as many other degrees in entertainment and media. To learn more about Full Sail's programs, as well as potential scholarship opportunities, visit fullsail.edu slash insidegamingdaily. That's fullsail.edu slash insidegamingdaily. All right, let's get back to the interview. Yeah, that does bring me to my next question about early access and, and you know, you having the, the Noclip documentary there. So it is like this kind of visible process um, for you and a new thing 
for Supergiant. Would you do it all over again the same way? And obviously this is the first time, so maybe there's, there's some changes that you want to make? Yeah, it was incredibly important to how this game turned out. The whole game was designed around being an early access game, uh, first of all, but even still, I, I don't think there's any way to explain the extent to which this game is like kind of exceeding our past successes other than to attribute a lot of it to the early access process because we were able to get feedback on every aspect of the game, including the story, surprisingly. Like I think people uh, would, would typically believe that early access doesn't lend itself to story-driven games. Like if you have a story, it doesn't work because people are just going to play through the story and they're not going to want to you know, come back to your early access game over and over. But we made it work with with our story structure um, and and the story benefited just like everything else. So it, it was definitely like a really intense uh, process, but it was really exciting as well. And we, we learned an awful lot. So that's not saying we'll definitely do it again. I don't know, but like we, yeah, we, we would be fools to not at least think about it. <laughs> do you have a good example of a change that you made in the game that was player driven that you wouldn't have thought of or gotten to otherwise? Uh, man, the game is like filled with them. <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind is a decision we made actually very soon after our early access launch. We basically prioritized the the end game system called the Pact of Punishment. Um, it's because we realized people were like playing and enjoying Hades way more than we had anticipated <laughs> when we launched into early access. So we're like, uh, you know, down the line, we have these thoughts on what like the end game structure can be to like, you know, once you clear the game, uh, is there a reason to keep playing? Why would someone want to do that? And we discovered that people got to that point quite quickly and were like really eager to keep going, but we're also looking for those incentives. So we uh, we significantly prioritized this kind of end game uh, system, which was something that I think normally we would have waited until much later in development, probably wouldn't have like fleshed it out nearly as much as we ended up doing. Um, so that was an example of like, the feedback was was like loud and clear and and we we completely adjusted our priorities uh, around that. Okay, I have to come clean with you. At Inside Gaming, we have weekend features and sometimes we rotate who gets to write them and who gets to, to kind of cut them together. And uh, so I've been pitching one that is actually just called, Hades is actually just teaching you how to be good at Dota. And so I wanted to, and people laughed at me, you know, everyone at IG was like, what are you talking about? And also they're like, what is Dota? But, uh, what? not really. I'm just, I'm just throwing them under the bus a little bit, yeah. but, but I do, I know you're a Dota fan. I know you're a Dota 2 fan. How much of that game and, and hours playing that game has influenced your design decisions and what went into Hades? Because when I see things like the bow, for example, and the highlights of where you're, you're tracing your aim and the way like the, the railgun works, it feels very familiar to me. Uh, in that way. So, and I knew you're a fan, so I wanted to ask you, is it, is it true? Yeah. Are you just trying to trick me into playing Dota? No, I, I mean, so I, I am indeed a Dota 2 fan, but you know who is an even bigger Dota 2 fan is, is Amir Rao, <laughs> our, our studio director, who does a lot of the like nitty gritty design work on the game. Like he, he does the, the balancing of boons and tunes all the weapons and deals with the numbers and all that while, while I'm more focused on the on the narrative design. Dota 2 runs real deep for him. Like, <laughs> it, like he got me into Dota 2 and he had been playing it for years and years before I got into it. And for sure, it's, an, it's a big uh, influence and a big uh, reference point on our design team, it, simply because when you have a game with such like a rich history as Dota 2, it basically has like every character ability under the sun in it. Um, like a version of it. So if you're making a game where you have characters that can like do stuff, <laughs> that can like shoot stuff or like- Have a shield. Make make stuff yeah. happen, have a shield, have stuff blow up under guys, 
like like you know become temporarily invisible like any anything that you can think of dota 2 probably has a really good example of that ability like i don't think that there are too many explicit references to it but there are little things like um uh, demeter her legendary boon uh causes enemies to shatter and die when their health is low enough so you don't even have to deplete their health you just shatter them to bits and that reminds me a lot of like uh, axes uh in dota 2 he could just execute guys is just <laughs> right. i don't care how much health you have just die yeah, on the gone. spot yeah. um so we were we were thinking of um stuff like that as an example so it comes up yeah pretty pretty regularly when we're like brainstorming uh, abilities and and also to your point like like ui feedback and stuff like that it's just dota has to make those abilities like very clear as much as possible in terms of how to use them and we need we prioritize that a lot just making sure that um, abilities are really intuitive and players can just kind of pick up and go yeah, I, without I, a lot of tutorial. I definitely feel it a lot in like the, the dashing around, obviously. And and yeah, just some of those user abilities with, with again, like with the shield where you can kind of see the outline of where your dash is going to go. That all, yep. and like you said, like Dota is also like a spectator game. So those things have to be clear, not just for players, but for people watching too. So yeah, yeah I think like, yeah, when I look at Hades and, and I think about the boon system, I feel like a big limitation for me and MOBA games like Dota and League of Legends is like, I'm always terrible at knowing like which items to buy. And I feel like right. you just completely eliminated this problem of like, here's a bunch of really cool stats and sets. You just pick one, you're gonna get in and it's gonna usually do pretty cool. Is there any similarities there between like buying items in a MOBA and like the boon system? Yeah, no, it is It, it is like, uh, I, I think to your point, um, we're really happy that the game caters to a lot of different desires, right? Like some players are in it more for, for the narrative or whatever, other players are like trying to beat their best time or maybe somewhere in between. And the nice thing about something like the boon system is it does start you off like very gently because it's just like, pick one of these three things Hopefully they're all pretty kind of relatively straightforward and maybe the choice will be pretty clear of like, oh yeah, I've been using this ability. This sounds good. I'll just try that. And the thing is you could be successful at the game and never leaving that mindset of just pick the thing that sounds cool. You'll be good to go. But there's this kind of next level mindset. It's not necessarily like a better mindset. It's just different where people will be like, okay, I have to get this and I have to get that. Oh, I, I didn't get this choice presented to me. Now I have to go down this other path. And that is the part that's more like Dota 2, where you have your ideal anti-mage game where you farm up and you get all this stuff that that's and then you're going to dominate. But then if things aren't going your way, you have to go to a plan B and you're not going to get all the best stuff and so on. And and I think roguelikes do have that similarity where, where you kind of roll with the punches. I actually think even more than that, this is the reason roguelikes i think resonate with players on like a on like a primal like almost a primal <laughs> level they, they because like that's life life is like a bunch of randomness that you try to exert control over you wish that you could just script your life in which case you would just script it perfectly <laughs> but you can't uh, so the best you could do is just try to navigate and so roguelikes are about like navigating the unknown and you know trying to like prevent the randomness from from killing you uh so yeah i you know anyway that's a bit that's... philosophical maybe but to me it, it really it really speaks to me it's why it i think that's why dota is compelling also um it, it's very similar each time you play dota it's like 
you have your perfect dream game of Dota in mind, and it's probably not going to be the game that you're playing right now, uh, but you just try to make the most of it. Yeah, just yeah. making the best of opportunities as they present themselves yeah. while simultaneously trying to increase your chances of better opportunities presenting themselves. And then ultimately stave off terrible misery. Yeah. Just, you know, with a, yeah, you're like, well, okay. Yeah. How could this not be more terrible? Yes. <laughs> in some cases. Uh, that's a super fun answer. I think I have just one more question for you. You know, Hades was announced at the Game Awards. Uh, and of course, people at home watching, as we kind of mentioned before, already know what happened at the annual Keeleys. But uh, what would it mean to you and the team to to take away an award at the Game Awards or maybe even go to you? I mean, congratulations, you're a nominee for, you. for Game of the Year. It already means an awful lot. You know, yeah, we're recording this where the day before yesterday, yeah, Hades was nominated for eight different categories in the Game Awards. Nobody on our team, like, saw that coming, not by volume, certainly. Um, we'd seen, I, I mean, so what can, it means an awful lot. Like, for, for me personally, I used to be a game critic way back when. I left working as a game critic back in 2007, so it's been a while now. But I used to review games myself. I used to spend hours and hours, you know, deciding on game of the year nominees and ultimately winners. So that type of process means a lot to me. So seeing our game recognized, um, like I wanted to make games since I was a little kid, since I was like eight, always wanted to make games that were worth a damn. And so when people say game is worth a damn, congratulations, I'm like, thank you so much. And our whole team, everybody just kind of pulled together on this thing. And we just feel incredibly fortunate that our work was, um, was recognized in this way and that the game is like resonated with people like you just yeah we, we can control the quality of it but we can't control like the circumstances in which um it, it's released and like how how people are feeling when when it comes out and that stuff just it's it's weird to think that the circumstances like made the game resonate with people more than it might have otherwise that's something i certainly think about not not something we could have planned for obviously but yeah i'm glad i'm glad the game was there for people and that they're enjoying it well i am certainly super biased i'm predicting a sweep of the game awards <laughs> i am super excited for hades uh i've been playing it a ton it's a great game thank you uh you know congratulations to you and the team you know already for just having a successful launch getting through COVID and just making it happen and working with the community and you know a new unprecedented thing for super giant which is a series of challenges that you've kind of overcome and, and done it in a way i think where everybody came out on the other end pretty excited uh, about Hades. So I'm looking forward to whatever's next for Hades. I'm looking forward to whatever's next from Supergiant. Just big congrats all around. Thank you so much for coming today and, and talking to me and, and hopefully we're going to have you back on again sometime. Yeah, right on. Thank you so much. Yeah.